0: I've got a really important question to ask you. Have you ever been in a room in which you feel like you just did not fit in? Okay, I, I've, I've been there. Some of you had that look in your eye of, of anxiety that we just prayed that God would take it away. And I'm just bringing it back up again for you. I apologize. And some of you are going back to your middle school and high school years. I, I asked ask this question periodically of middle school parents Uh, If I were to give you a million dollars, would you go back and relive your middle school years? (laughs) Almost every time the answer is no. I I remember my middle school years. They were full of acne and awkwardness. Uh, I wore braces and headgear. Okay, It was just a miserable season of life. Okay. It was just, it was awful. But the thing about middle school for me was that there was an in crowd and there was an out crowd. And I was definitely on the out crowd. And that's a terrible feeling when there is a, a group that, that gets along that, that really they, they're, they're the popular kids and you're just, you're just not one of them. Well, what we see is that sometimes that even carries into adulthood, Sometimes even adults will act that way where there's, a, there's an in crowd, there's a cool lunch table, it's people who are like us, and then there's everybody else. And so we, you know, Scripture teaches believers, we've got to be on guard because even churches can do, can do that. James uh, chapter uh, 2 addresses this, in which James says, we don't play favorites. Okay, especially when it comes to wealthy church members versus poor church members. And that's what was happening in the first century. And we've got to be on guard against that. But there's an interesting thing that happens in Acts chapter 10, where the wall that separated the in crowd from the out crowd was obliterated. It was destroyed. Like the Berlin Wall, it was destroyed and brought down where now two groups can now come together as one. And what we see in Acts chapter 10 is where God is seeking to take two types of people and bring them together as one. So far in the book of Acts the early church was made up of primarily former Jews who had given their lives to Jesus and from their perspective the gospel is only for Jews even though Jesus commanded in Mark 16:15 go into all the world and preach the gospel to all of creation even though Jesus had said in Matthew 28 go and make disciples of all nations But in Acts 10, the gospel that had been primarily preached to only Jews is about to expand out to the Gentiles. The wall of separation between the in crowd and the out crowd is about to come down. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 10. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Acts 10 chapter 10 acts chapter 10 and as you're turning there i want to try something on my microphone just to see if i can get this one on my headset to work if not we'll stick with this crazy thing right here two three four five six seven eight nine ten is that okay we good now All right, we can shake and bake? All right, good stuff. Acts chapter 10. What we've seen so far in Acts chapter 10 is up to this point, Peter has healed the sick. He has cast out demons. We even saw back in Acts chapter nine where he raised the dead, right? He raised Dorcas back to life. So I mean, Peter's been preaching throughout Judea and his ministry has just taken him all the way now to Joppa, a a seacoast city right there in Israel on the Mediterranean Sea. Well, while he is in Joppa, Peter has this vision of a sheet that is being lowered down from the sky. On this sheet are clean and unclean animals. And he hears a voice that tells him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And he says, by no means, Lord. You see, he was hesitant to get up, kill and eat. Why? Because of Jewish dietary laws. Here's a guy who wanted to keep Old Testament law, and he wanted to make sure that he was doing what the scriptures had commanded him. And so he's scratching his head over what this vision means. Well, just then, Cornelius's entourage shows up looking for Peter to escort him 40 miles north up the Mediterranean coastline to Caesarea. For we see earlier in the text, an angel told Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a Roman military leader, that there you need to go send for Peter, who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house, and bring him here, for he's got a message for you. So Peter and some believers from Joppa go to Caesarea, and they walk in, and they find Cornelius' house jam-packed full of people. And sitting on the edges of their seats, eager to hear the message of what Peter has to say, and they lean in as Peter walks them through the gospel. You see, the vision that Peter had of clean and unclean animals on the sheet was not only about how Jewish dietary laws are no longer in effect— But moreover, it was a metaphor of Jews and Gentiles coming together as one. But then it finally clicked, verse 34, for Peter. He says, Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. Peter then shares the gospel with this captive audience, and the most remarkable thing happens next. And this is where we pick up in Acts 10, beginning with verse 44. And the scripture says this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. Today I want you to notice in the text how God obliterates the separation between the Jewish and Gentile Christ followers and what this means for us today. The first thing I want you to see is this. number one, the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon Gentiles. As Peter is preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls upon the gathering of Gentiles here in Cornelius's house. It's as if God takes control of the meeting. The word of God has been brought to bear through Peter, He's preached the gospel, and the Spirit interrupts Peter, and God is proving his point. Gentiles are welcomed. You see, Acts 10 mirrors Acts 2. In fact, let me me show you that. Uh, Keep your finger in Acts 10 and backpedal with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In Acts 2, we see where the Holy Spirit fell upon the Jews at Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, we see where the Holy Spirit comes, where the church is established. Beginning with verse 2 of Acts 2, we see suddenly. "'A sound like that of a violent, rushing wind came from heaven, "'and it filled the whole house where they were staying. "'They saw tongues like flames of fire "'that separated and rested on each one of them. "'Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit "'and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. "'Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, "'devout people from every nation under heaven. "'When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused "'because each one heard them speaking in his own language.' They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt in the parts of Lib- Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs... We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. Now, keep in mind, these are all Jews in Acts 2. It's these early disciples of Jesus. And then chapter 2, verse 5, it's Jews staying in Jerusalem from every nation. They were in town for the festival of weeks. Okay, now what in the world is that? Well, the festival of weeks or the Feast of Weeks, according to Leviticus 23, was a gathering of all Jewish males into Jerusalem to celebrate the beginning of the harvest. It's seven full weeks or exactly 50 days after Passover that all able-bodied Jewish men were to travel to Jerusalem to attend and celebrate the Feast. Well, in Acts 2, Jerusalem is buzzing. There's people, the scripture says, from every nation in that city to celebrate the holiday. And it is then that the Holy Spirit comes down and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ. It's in the providence of God that he ordained that people from every nation would be gathered for such a time as a celebration of the first fruits of a harvest. Well, what we see in Acts 2 is the first fruits of a harvest of souls. This is just the beginning of the expansion of the kingdom of God, of people coming to faith in Christ. It's just the beginning. But the presupposition, the assumption, the opinion of many of these Christians in Acts 2 and following was that the gospel was only for Jews, Which is why chapter 10, verse 45, the circumcised believers, these Jews, including Peter, they're amazed. They're shocked. They can't believe it. The Holy Spirit has come down on uncircumcised Gentiles, even these Romans. You see, the gospel is for all people. You see, the Holy Spirit is in all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, most often when we come to faith in Christ, we don't fully understand all that took place when we first believed. If you're a follower of Jesus today, there's been a point in time in your life in which you you felt the weight of your sin and you confessed your sin to God. You turned from your sin and you trusted in Christ by faith. You realized your brokenness and your separation from God. And you realize, I need a savior. I need forgiveness. Man, my life is messed up apart from Jesus, and I don't have a relationship with God. And so it's at that moment that someone told you, hey, there's good news. God loves you, and he's made a way through his son for you to be reconciled back to him where you can have a relationship with God through Jesus. That all of your sin was nailed to Christ, and if you trust in him by faith, you will be received by him. And you heard that gospel, Maybe it was at VBS, or it was at your kitchen table with your parents, or it was like me where I'm, I'm bowing next to my bedroom late at night studying the Bible and realizing I need a Savior. Maybe it was at a church like this or at some revival where someone preached the gospel and they told you about Jesus and you believed. Now, in that moment that you trusted in Christ, you really didn't understand the full significance of what was happening. There are so many things that occur in that moment when you trust in Christ. But as a disciple of Jesus, this is part of the discipleship process. You grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You are growing in your understanding of what happened to you. That when you did put your faith in Jesus, you're discovering all the things that God has promised to you because of your faith in Christ. In fact, let me give you a few examples. Ephesians, just in chapter one, says that you were adopted as sons. You received redemption through his blood. You received forgiveness of sins. You received an inheritance. First Peter says that you received a heavenly citizenship, a living hope, an imperishable reward. And there is so much more that God has given to you. But there is also someone That God has given to you the moment you believe the gospel. And one of those gifts that Jesus gave to his followers is Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the Holy Spirit. God himself living and abiding inside of you. This is where the Holy Spirit comes and he's inside of you. That God himself comes and takes up permanent residence in you. This is the Holy Spirit, one with the Father and the Son, co-equal, the same in essence, equal in power and glory. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. When you trust in Christ, he comes and takes up residence. Now, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is a he. He comes and takes up residence inside of you. He is not a force. He is God. And he lives inside of you the moment you believe the gospel. You see, when you trust in Christ, he does so many things. He he convicts you of sin. He encourages you in the truth. He opens your mind and your eyes to the scriptures. He illumines truth. He gives you wisdom. He directs your path. He reminds you of who you are. He's shaping your character. He's conforming you into the image of Jesus. He has sealed you until the day of redemption. He is always at work in your life, even when you don't feel it. If you're like me, there's times where you're like, I don't feel the Holy Spirit. And that's okay. Because we're not trusting in a feeling, we're trusting in truth. We don't bank our lives upon how we feel, we bank our lives on what God has revealed in His Word. If we trust our feelings, our feelings lie to us. Do not bank your your life on how you feel, bank your life upon what is true, on what God has revealed in His Word. This is where we anchor our lives, not on how we feel in this esoteric being. There's a sense in which I'm banking my soul on what God has made, made, revealed clearly in his word. And the reality is this, when you trusted in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and took up residence here, permanently, forever, if you are in Christ. When you believe in Jesus, he lives here. Listen to how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus said, and I will ask the father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him. Because he remains with you and will be in you. What we see in Acts 10 is the Father freely giving the counselor the Holy Spirit. And he is with believers forever. He's the spirit of truth. He speaks the truth. He reveals the truth because he is the truth. Have you ever had a moment where you're studying the Bible and all of a sudden you see something on the text and you're like, how have I never seen that before? I feel like that happens to me all the time. I'm like, how have I missed this? What's happening? The Holy Spirit is illuminating. He's opening our mind and our heart to the truth of his own word. God wants you to know him. God is not playing cosmic hide and seek from you. He wants you to know him personally and intimately. And as you study the scriptures as a follower of Jesus, and you say, God, open my eyes to see your word so I might know you and love you and treasure you more. This is what the spirit does. He reveals the truth. And the world, they can't see him. And they can't because they don't know him. But we who are in Christ, we do know the Holy Spirit because he remains in us and he stays with us forever. And here's what's amazing. The same Holy Spirit that's in Peter and James and John and Paul and Jesus, is the same Holy Spirit that has filled every believer for the last 2,000 years. It's the same Holy Spirit that is in you. That the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. The spirit of God abiding, resting, and living inside of you so that wherever you go, whatever you do, no matter what you face, the spirit of truth is permanently inside all who believe the gospel. So when you go to the hospital, you don't go alone. The Holy Spirit is inside of you and he will be with you. When you go in for chemo treatments, you don't go alone. The Holy Spirit goes with you for he is in you. When you get on that airplane, when you go to that college campus, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, whenever you face a challenge even when it comes to the point where you take your last breath, you're not alone. The Holy Spirit of God is in you. He is with you. He is working for you. He's working in ways you can't even see. And he promises, I'm gonna be with you even to the end of the age. Some of you right now are facing some huge obstacles, painful situations in which you need grace. May I say to you, he's already there. Would you open up your heart and say, Spirit, would you give me wisdom and grace to know what I'm supposed to do because I don't know what I'm supposed to do? He will give you wisdom. He will give you insight to his word. And he's the one who's going to be with you every step of the way as you follow Jesus on into glory. And let's not forget the Holy Spirit is for all who believe and trust in Christ. This is one of my, my favorite things is that when I get to travel internationally, I get to meet believers in other parts of the world and see how the Holy Spirit is at work in them and through them. In fact, I want to uh, introduce you to a couple of my friends from around the world. Uh, This guy right here, his name's Andre. Andre. Andre lives in Israel. In fact, he's from Nazareth. He speaks four languages fluently, passionately loves Jesus, knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. He's got a degree in archaeology, and he loves studying the scriptures to see how all that fits together. He has a shepherd's heart, and just the gentleness and the wisdom of the Spirit is upon his life. This next picture I want to show you is a guy. His name is Sylvester. It's a bad picture because it was taken before the iPhone. But me and Sylvester are brothers in Christ. We got to serve together in Kenya. He's a youth pastor there. He loves preaching the gospel to teenagers all across Kenya. Many, many people have come to faith in Jesus because of Sylvester. This next person I want you to meet is George. George is a church member down at Light of the Valley Baptist Church in Belize. A gentle man. He has no teeth, but he smiles the grace of Jesus. His life has been changed by the gospel, and the gentleness of God is upon his life. This next person I want you to meet is Eliseo. In this picture, he's 18 years old. It was taken several years ago. Eliseo is a church planter. He speaks three languages, English, Spanish, and Mayan. Spanish and Mayan are two languages that have nothing in common. In fact, the Mayan language is not a written language, so it's hard to translate a Bible into a language that is not written down. But what he's doing is he is reaching unreached Mayans with the gospel. He's planted churches in three different villages all throughout Mexico in which he's reaching people with the gospel. He's making disciples and planting churches. This young man is a mighty warrior for King Jesus. The next person I want you to meet is Zebron. Zabron is a brother from Zambia. He oversees church planting throughout sub Saharan Africa. It's his mission to train up church planters who can preach the gospel amongst people who have never heard of Jesus. He works with Reaching Souls International, and what he does is he trains and invests his life in seeing the name of Jesus made known where Jesus is not known yet. This next guy I want you to meet is Yosef. Yosef is a bus driver in Ethiopia, he's also a pastor. This man, as I met him, has a a spirit of gentleness and kindness. He's full of joy, and he loves his congregation, loves his people. And the Holy Spirit just oozes out of him as he abides in Jesus. This next person I want you to meet is Doris. Doris is in China. For decades, she's given her life to rescuing children. She helps put children and families She's involved in orphan care and the adoption ministry. She loves Jesus. She was instrumental in helping us bring our daughter, Anne home. The joy of being around Doris is that she has had a really hard life, but she finds her hope and joy in Christ and Christ alone. Next person I want you to meet is Johanna. Johanna is staying there with my wife, Christy. And Johanna came from abject poverty, And through compassion, she was introduced to the gospel. She connected with the local church. And now she has a degree in biomedical engineering. This young lady is a force for the sake of the gospel. She loves Jesus and talking about Jesus. You see, the same Holy Spirit that is upon Peter and the Jews is the same Holy Spirit that is for the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit who has illumined your mind and heart and eyes to the gospel is the same Holy Spirit who continues to work today. And if you are in Christ, it's because the Holy Spirit opened your eyes and your heart to the truth of the gospel, and he changed you as you heard the good news of the gospel. And he has been poured out on the Gentiles all who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ have the spirit of God upon them. And beloved, this is what happened to you. The moment you believe the gospel, whatever age you were, wherever you were located when you heard the good news of Jesus and he came in and he changed your life, this is what has happened. He came into your life to stay there forever. Forever. And be encouraged that the same Holy Spirit that came upon the Gentiles in Acts 10 is the same Holy Spirit that came upon you the moment you believed the gospel. The second thing I want you to see in the text is the amazement over the mystery of the gospel. Peter and these Jewish believers that came with him from Joppa are, verse 45, amazed. Because the Holy Spirit has come upon the Gentiles. Okay, It's Acts 2 all over again, except it's the Gentiles. But this should not be surprising to them. Remember what the Lord uh, told Abraham, that through you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We realize as followers of Jesus that Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Jesus is the blessing of Abraham, that through him all the nations of the earth are blessed that the promise to Abraham of the blessing of the nations of the earth are fulfilled in the one who is a light to the nations. And indeed, his gospel is now circling the earth. We see this in Paul's writings in which he said, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then You are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. You see, the gospel is the good news for the whole world. And faith in Christ is a global movement that will one day find its fulfillment on the last day, Revelation 5 and 7, in which people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be rallying together around the throne of Jesus, singing with gusto a passion of what Christ has done for us through his death and resurrection. That day is coming, y'all. I long for that day. And it's coming. And I want to bring as many people with me to that day. People of different skin colors and ethnicities and languages. And you and I have a very small window, a short, brief life, in which I'm not sure about you, but I want to leverage all that I've got so I can prepare people for that day. That's far more important than any other day. It's that day preparing people to go and meet the Lord through the preaching of the gospel. This is what we do. We prepare people for this, and you see this. Whole, the Holy Spirit He works in us and through us as we preach Jesus. Here's what I've found, y'all. It's crazy that there's times in which, as I'm sharing the gospel with somebody, I'll start saying things, and I'm like, "Where are these words coming from?" And there's Bible verses I memorized a decade ago that all of a sudden I've not thought about, but here they come, boom, and they apply in that moment. That's one of the most exciting things about evangelism is that it's terrifying and liberating at the same time. (laughs) Because all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is going to say, I'm going to use you and I'm going to speak through you and I'm going to take your words and I'm going to plant seeds in the soil of this person's heart. And you may not get to see the fruit of it. In fact, they may push back. They may not have anything to do with you. They may stiff arm you. They may cuss you out. That's not up to you. You trust me. And it's amazing how the Holy Spirit takes it. And he takes our words and he begins to move in their hearts and lives. Well, what began in Acts 10 has now gone global. I had the opportunity several years ago uh, to be a part of a, a worship gathering with people from Ethiopia. And in this gathering, I had no idea what they were singing. But there was just a sense in which as they were singing with gusto a passion over what Christ had done. In fact, there was a lady there who began um, making this noise with her tongue uh, because it's part of her tribe. And for them, they're so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done, she begins to make this noise. And so I've got a 13-second video I want to show you of what this looked like. In fact, take out the screen. I want you to see what this worship service was like. And what a beautiful picture of joy of the Holy Spirit who has moved in people's hearts and lives and they've been changed by Jesus. And this is shocking to Peter and these Jewish disciples. They're like, how is this happening? The gospel is open to the Gentiles. And what we're going to see throughout the rest of the New Testament, it's, it's a wrestling of the first century church trying to figure out how this is possible. How can Jews and Gentiles live together in harmony. Well, the answer is Jesus, that He has taken what was two and He's made us one. Paul said it like this in Ephesians 2. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope without God in the world but now in Christ Jesus you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ in fact Paul will go on to say in Ephesians 3 that this mystery is that through the gospel the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel Members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. The mystery of the gospel is that Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews, which means we receive the same promises as they do. Oh my goodness, does this not open up the canon of Scripture? That the promises that God makes to Israel, now they can apply to us. Because we are trusting in the promise that's found in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important to note what's happening here in Acts 10. That as they're speaking in tongues, this is not unintelligible gibberish. They're speaking actual heart languages. In fact, that's what the word tongues means there in verse 46. They're speaking languages. Just as what happened in Acts 2, right? where you had 15 different languages of people who were there in Jerusalem and they're hearing the gospel in their native tongue, their native language. Well, here is Peter and his boys from Joppa standing there probably with their mouths open like, what is going on? Wow, you mean they're part of this too? It then leads to two things. First, it's the Gentiles obedience to believe and be baptized. That's their response. They want to obey the Lord. And so Peter asks the question, verse 47, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? The answer is obviously no. They've believed Peter's message. They've trusted in Christ. They've received the Holy Spirit. And so now it's time to get baptized. Once again, we have the New Testament pattern of baptism, that it comes after personal faith in Christ. But you see, this baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith in Jesus. Once again, we see that baptism, it does not save because they've already received the Holy Spirit. They've already trusted in Christ. But baptism is the next step that someone takes after they put their faith in Jesus. Question, have you been baptized? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Yes. All right, your next step is baptism. What we see in scripture is that's by immersion. And if that's the next step that you would like to take at the close of the service, we'd love to talk with you about that and help you take that next step of obedience, of baptism. It doesn't save you, but it's a picture of what Christ has done through you when, he, when you put your faith in Christ as he's washed away your sins. You're now hidden in Christ. You died with Jesus. You're raised to life in in him. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. That's what's happening here. We don't only see the obedience of the Gentiles, but we also see Peter's obedience to stay and invest. We see there at the end of verse 48 that Peter stays. They ask him to stay for a few days, and Peter gives his life to spending time with these new believers. This is a brand-new local church. They're just made up of brand new Christians, baby Christians. They're now Gentiles. This has never happened before. And these Gentiles, they need wisdom. How do we establish ourselves? What does a church look like? And here is Peter shepherding them through this. And this has ginormous implications of a new Gentile church, which we've got to figure out how the apostles are going to respond to this, which we're going to see next week when we get chapter 11. Well, like Jesus, who stayed in Sychar a few extra days in John 4, Peter stays a few extra days here in Caesarea in Acts 10. You see, they genuinely desired Peter's presence, his wisdom, his encouragement. They were probably learning more and more about Jesus from Peter, who spent three years with Jesus, learning ministry, hearing his teachings, and now he's conveying that on to this new church. But what we see for these new believers, they were hungry for community. They longed for fellowship. You see, a mark... That you belong to Jesus is you love the church. And you love being with God's people. Like it's not a, a, a drudgery. It's not a burden. It's a delight. Like, yes, I get to gather with God's people. We get to pray together. We get to sing together. We get to study the word of God together. And we get to build relationships and community. That's a mark that you're a believer. That's what's happening here. They're eager for fellowship. They're eager to have that community around them. Question, do you have that? Do you you have people in your life who you love gathering together with Jesus and around Jesus and making much of Jesus together? It matters for your perseverance in the gospel. You need it and I need it. And that's what's happening here. This community, this, this fellowship that's happening here in this early church You see, now the barrier, this wall that once separated God's people, it's now been destroyed. And now all who believe the gospel, they're in the family. In fact, this is the impact point. I want you to grab hold of this. The challenge for you is see yourself as one who belongs in God's family. The days in which Jews don't welcome Gentiles is now over. The Holy Spirit has now obliterated and knocked out the wall of separation. Now, there's no in-crowd or out-crowd in the kingdom. In the kingdom, it's not those wearing headgear and braces and have acne. We are all one in Christ Jesus. We have now been bought with the precious blood of Christ, and you and I are now fellow heirs. Sons and daughters of the king. And he has obliterated the walls that separates us. Now you have been made one with the family of God through faith in Jesus Christ.